Good morning. We want to welcome you to East LJ Baptist Church this morning. We're so glad you're here and uh, maybe joining us via live stream. Welcome. We want you to know that here at East LJ, we have been captivated by Christ. We have seen the glory of God in the grace of God given to us through His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus lives today, and He's reigning over all things, and He's on the move in the world by the power of His Spirit and through the preaching of the gospel. And our church is here to spread our enjoyment of the beauty of Jesus with the, uh, all the way to the ends of the earth. It's our prayer that you would be captivated by Jesus as you see His beauty today and, and just fall in love with Him. I want to give a quick thank you to a couple people. First of all, to Doug Jordan. Doug has worked hard this week to get our sound system reconfigured completely with a new soundboard. Appreciate Doug's work. Also, Vanna Clampett, who's not here today, but uh, helped me get ready for our Stackstones membership and orientation class tonight. So thanks to Doug and Vanna for all they do. I want you to stand with me, and uh, we want to just uh, take a minute. Uh, to get to know one another. Look around, find somebody you don't know. And this, this does not mean within three feet of you. Move about, find somebody you don't know, and greet those folks. Good to see everybody smiling and visiting. That's good. That's good. If you'll remain standing and, and join me, or just you'll, the words of the scripture will be on the screens. Just join me as we read together Acts chapter 2. You don't need to read out loud. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 47. Luke writes and describes to us what was going on in the early church. And it says there, so those who received his word, this is uh, just immediately following the day of uh, the events of the day of uh, Pentecost, where Peter had preached. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, 
They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Are you thankful to be part of the body of Christ today? Man, what a beautiful thing. What an awesome privilege to know Christ and to be part of the body of Christ, to be members one of another even, even as we're members of Him. Uh, what a privilege to know Jesus, to have the gospel, to, to be able to grow together as a, as a church body. Um, and, and yet so many that we know don't know Him that way. Even your neighbors and family members, uh, all they've heard about Jesus, but they don't know Him personally. I want us to pray that we would be more faithful witnesses to them. But I also want us to pray for the nations. And this morning, I want to pray for a small people group, the Adu people of China. 8,200 of these people, but as far as we know, no known believers there. So I want to pray for the Adu of China. Join me as we pray uh, for the, our, our neighbors, the nations, uh, our missionaries, as well as uh, several who uh, need healing and just God's touch this morning. Father, we praise you that you allowed us to hear the gospel one day, and through the hearing of the gospel, you gave faith that we might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. You enabled us to call upon your name that day, and ever since we've known you, we've been members of the body of Christ. Thank you, Father, for this local church family. And I pray, God, that you would cause us to be more and more like what we've just read about in the book of Acts, so that day by day, even day by day, you would be adding to our number as more and more in our community believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and were saved. Father, we pray for the nations and we lift up the adieu of China. We pray for our missionaries, that God, you would use them wherever they serve. Today we pray for Ginger Holder and Kathy Abernathy. Lord, we lift up Randy Piper and Jim and Arminda Brooks. We continue to pray for Mayford MacArthur and David MacArthur. And Lord, we pray for Cindy Musselwhite's family as they continue to uh, recover from injuries in, in the um, accident there a couple weeks ago. We pray for Denise Key. We continue to pray for Kathy Rickert. We are surprised and thankful to see Julie Green here today. We pray for continued healing and strength. We pray for Walker Crunkleton. Thank you that he's at home and doing much better. But we pray for his mother, Christina Crunkleton, who uh, has been diagnosed with thyroid cancer and may be having surgery as early as this Thursday. Father, we also pray for John Howard, Michael's brother, who has congestive heart failure and pneumonia. We'll be going for a heart catheterization tomorrow. Father, there are so many here, but also some I know that we're not aware of. And, and God, thank you that you are the, the, the great physician. You are able to heal. And so, God, we would just ask you that in some of these situations, if you would so choose, God, to intervene supernaturally and bring complete healing. You are able. There's nothing that you cannot do. If you can raise Jesus from the dead, you can do that. So we ask you, Father, if it be your will to do that. We pray, Father, where that's not your will, that you would work and use doctors and comfort and, and, and bring even healing over time. Lord, use your people to comfort these. Father, we thank you 
for the privilege to gather together and worship you, to pray, to seek your face, to fellowship together. And Lord, we ask now that Christ would be exalted in our midst. That, Lord, we would find in him our all in all. That we would drink deeply from the fountain of living water who is Christ today. And in it all, Father, may your name be exalted and praised. Even by the worship, not only of our mouths in this moment, but of our lives as we go forward into the week. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his glory's sake. Amen. Remain standing as we sing. We're glad you joined us this morning. We're going to sing a song that applies to all of us. Come ye sinners.
what a friend of sinners you are how we praise you that you would leave a world 
where for all of eternity past they cried, angels cried, holy, holy, holy. And you left that world to come to a world where sinners would scream at you, crucify Him, crucify Him. Where with our lives of sin and rebellion, we would scream at you, Lord Jesus, crucify Him. And yet you came. And when we weren't looking for a Savior, when we weren't calling heaven and asking for help, you came to save and rescue us from our sin, from the chains that bound our hearts and minds and our lives, from all the stupid decisions that enchained us and wrecked our lives. From all of it, you came and you died to save us. You paid the price for all of our sins. You're buried, and on the third day you rose in victory, proving that the price had been paid in full, proving that the work had been done, that salvation had been accomplished, so that, Lord Jesus, we can venture on you wholly. We can venture on you fully. We can believe you. We can trust you. We can rest in your grace. We can cry out to you and you alone for help. We can trust no, we can confide in no other trust but only you. So surely today you are worthy. And you have been so, so good. And even when nothing makes sense and our hearts ache, you're still good. And you're working for your glory and our eternal good. It may be eternity before we see what's good about some of it. But Lord, you are good. And the cross proved it and the resurrection has sealed it. And today we praise you. Father, I pray that you would help us to better show our world who you are by how we live together as the church. We pray it in Jesus' precious name and for his glory's sake. Amen. Amen. We'll be dismissed to Children's Church. As they're making their way out, I invite you to turn with your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We read our text for the morning a little bit earlier. We're looking at verses 41 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. Over the years, one of the, the greatest joys of my life, my ministry, um, has been to have the privilege to go on several mission trips, short-term trips, and I, I love and, and really enjoy meeting people from different cultures, other cultures, seeing how brothers and sisters in Christ as well as just people in general live uh, so differently. And I, I enjoy learning about, even participating in, those different cultures. Um, thankfully, God's given me a little bit of an uh, adventurous appetite. Uh, not everybody has that. My wife is not 
uh, so adventurous, but I, I've, been, I've enjoyed everything from curry, breadfruit, salt fish, and shark bake in Trinidad, all the way to stuff like satay, soto, nasi goreng, nasi padang, rendang, and molen in Indonesia. You don't even want to know what some of that is. I've experienced a, a very different day at the beach with armed guards in the dark, rough Pacific Ocean while uh, building uh, homes in El Salvador. Uh, I visited with precious orphans that we supported in Haiti and seen the poverty of that culture as well as the corruption and abuse of power that coexists there. I walked on the busy streets of Argentina, Buenos Aires, 14 million people in that city, and seen the similarities of American and European prosperity there. I had the opportunity to walk through the town of Caucupe, Paraguay, uh, along with our, one of our missionaries, Paul Fields, and watch devout Catholics go through their rituals to venerate the blue virgin of Caucupe. They believe the Mar Virgin Mary appeared to their village there. But they live in constant fear and under the burden of that works religion, never knowing if they're accepted by God. And I've been able to experience the Euro-Asian culture of a Central Asian country while reaching out to people from a Middle Eastern country on holiday there and have enjoyed food and cultures, languages of both nations. All kind of cultures in the world. But the local church, no matter where it is in the world, is to have a certain culture about it. And equally as amazing, in fact more amazing than all of that, those experiences in various countries with food and people and ways of living and ways of dressing and, and all these different things, more amazing than that is as, as I've gone all these different places in the world, the body of Christ in fact does have a culture about it that is shared around the world. The book of Acts unfolds the birth and the early days of the history of the church. The history of the body of Christ. You know, we've been talking about, as we wrapped up our study in Luke, we kind of spilled over into Acts last week a little bit, didn't we? We talked about the birth of the church uh, there on the day of Pentecost. And Acts takes, that, takes us from the birth of the church right on through the early days and shows the progress of, of how the gospel went out first in Jerusalem, then in all of Judea and Samaria, and then all of the way to the ends of the earth. That really kind of Acts 1 verse 8 kind of serves as a, an outline for the book of Acts. And God's gospel penetrating the world even to the ends of of the earth. And a few years ago, we actually worked through the book of Acts together as a church and we did so under this title, Acts. What's it all about? Jesus' gospel gathering for gospel going. What, what is the message of the book of Acts? What is the book of Acts all about? It is about the church. And said another way, it's about Jesus' gospel gathering for gospel going. It's about Jesus' gospel gathering, the church, for gospel going, the work of the great church. Commission. Now, a key word in the book of Acts is the word ekklesia. It's the Greek word that the early believers used to describe their group, and it literally just means the gathering. Uh, it, it was used in, in a number of ways in that day, but it, it speaks of a group of people who are gathered together around a common teaching or purpose, in this case, and in ours, 
Ecclesia is a gathering around the gospel of Jesus Christ for the purpose of taking that gospel to the world. Is that not what the church is? Doesn't that make sense? I mean, we don't just get together for our edification, right? We certainly do that. But we come together around the gospel that we may go together with the gospel into a lost and dying world. You see, when the early believers that we read about in the book of Acts used the word ecclesia, they did not think of a building because they didn't have one. When they heard of this heard this word, nor should we. We're to always be a Jesus movement. His gospel gathering for gospel going. And this gathering, the ecclesia of God, is to have a very unique and powerful culture, no matter where Jesus' followers are gathered in the world. I want to talk to you this morning about the gospel culture of the ecclesia, the gospel culture of the church. Very simply, Acts 2, verses 41 to 47, teach us this truth. We will portray the beauty of Christ to the world we to the world as we live in and live out a gospel culture. We will portray the beauty of Christ to the world as we live in and live out a gospel culture. Acts 2, I want to read it again, verses 41 to 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You hear me say every Sunday morning, here at East LJ Baptist Church, we have been what? I, see, I, just, I need to make sure you were hearing me. We've been captivated by Christ. In other words, captivated by the glory of God, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, in the face of Jesus Christ, so that our purpose, our mission as a church is to spread our enjoyment of the beauty of Christ to the world. Where do we get that? Why do I say that over and over and over again? We got that because of Acts 2, verses 41 to 47. These verses make it clear that we will portray the beauty of Christ to the world as we live in and live out a gospel culture. So how do we do it? How do we live in, together, a gospel culture? And then how together do we live out a gospel culture? What is a gospel culture? What's necessary to say that we have a gospel culture as a local church? How do we do it? How do we show Christ's beauty to the world through this gospel culture lived in and out? It comes by being controlled by the indwelling spirit of Jesus and as that happens, we portray the beauty of Christ to the world by maintaining the same four gospel priorities, four gospel priorities to which the early church was devoted. And don't miss this. If we are controlled by the Spirit, then these will be the gospel priorities that we will, in fact, live out. These are the four priorities to which every local church, no matter where they are in the world, 
will indeed hold fast. Priority number one. How do we form a gospel culture? What priorities must we have? The first priority we must have is we must together enjoy God's grace. We must enjoy God's grace. Before all things, worship of our God has to be paramount. We must enjoy God's grace. How do we do that? We do it in Christ-exalting worship. Now, this can take all kinds of forms. This can be anything from singing to prayer to giving, all kinds of forms of worship. But in verse 43 of our text, it says, And all came upon every soul. When we come to church on Sunday, do we come to enjoy the grace of God in Jesus Christ? Do we gather in this room? Do we sing in such a way that Christ is exalted and in the exaltation of Jesus, our hearts enjoy His grace, God's grace and goodness in Christ? Is there right now a sense of awe? What does that word mean? It has the idea of, of reverence and fear, even just amazement at who Jesus is and what He's done for us, at our salvation, even at the glory of the church of God. And because we get to be part of this thing called the body of Christ. You see, if not, then we've got trouble. If that's not the foundation of everything we ever do, is enjoying God's grace to us in Christ, then we're going to have trouble. John Piper says the absence of this all has a direct effect on the way we accumulate possessions for ourselves, the way we ignore the needy, the way we trivialize fellowship, and the way we play more than we pray. You see, if Jesus has not captivated our hearts, if we're not in awe of Him, if, 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 if awe is not what captures us as we think about Jesus, if we're not enjoying His grace and being satisfied by Him above all things, let me tell you something, then you're drinking from a different well, a different fountain. You're drinking from something. See, we're created to be worshipers. We, we are always worshiping. We are always seeking the satisfaction of our souls. We're always, our, our hearts are always drinking something. And if it's not Jesus, then it's something else. It's that stuff. It's more money. It's position. It's reputation. You just go down the line. What, what is it for you? It's that pleasure. It's that certain fit feeling physically or emotionally that you experience. And yet if we're to be a church that has a gospel culture, all of us together, we must be enjoying God's grace in Jesus through Christ-exalting worship. The, the text continues in verse 46 and describes how they live. It says, Then day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. They worshiped both in a big gathering, just like we do on Sunday mornings, and in small groups. So, if you will, it didn't look like ours does, but they had a worship service. And they had Sunday school classes, just like we do at 10 a.m. They had home meetings, and they had a collective meeting. Sheila's laughing because Sunday school probably wasn't quite like we do it, right? A little different. But Perhaps they even had, as, as Jesus had modeled for them with his inner circle of disciples, they had even, even closer and more accountable discipleship groups 
by the way, that are beginning to have an impact and sanctifying power in the lives of those here that dare to commit themselves and participate in such. They regularly worship God both in big groups and small groups. More on that later. They also regularly worship God through the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 10 describes the importance of the Lord's table. And, and, and around here we do that about once a month. That's the goal. We, we, we celebrate the Lord's Supper once a month. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Do you know the Lord's Supper had something to do with idolatry? We don't think about it that way, do we? Verse 16 and 17, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Skipping on down to verse 21, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. What's Paul saying? How does idolatry connect to the Lord's table? How does idol- what does idolatry have to do with the table of demons? Very simply stated, there's something wrong if I come to the Lord's table and drink, and tomorrow I go drink at the world's table. Whatever form that takes, if I come to Christ's table, for satisfaction. But I turn right around and go to the world and drink just as deeply there. The church celebrated the Lord's Supper. They, they, they enjoyed God's grace through Christ-exalting worship, which included the Lord's table. You see, you and I should come and sing and praise and pray with all that rivals angels' songs. For we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Did anybody hear what I just said? We should come and sing and praise and maybe say amen. Because we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Day by day, we should live with a peculiar gladness. An uncommon generosity. Did you hear that? They had glad hearts. Generous hearts. Because we've been made glad by the generous grace of Jesus. Can I just stop right there and just say this? There ought not be any happier people in the world. And I'm not talking about superficial happiness and giddiness and all that stuff. But truly joyful people or generous people than those who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Because we've, no, nobody on the planet has any greater reason for joy. Nobody on the planet has experienced the generosity of God in Christ than us. So we should enjoy God's grace through Christ exalting worship. I don't know about you, but I mean, everything I've just been talking about, it's good. Like it ain't, I mean, I mean, who, do, who don't want to do that? You know when I don't want to do that? It's when I'm sucking down the junk of the world and I'm full on the trash. And it spoils my appetite for what is truly good. We're to enjoy God's grace through Christ-exalting worship, also through Christ-centered study of the Word, verse 42. It says they devoted themselves, the first thing it says, as a matter of fact, to the apostles' teaching. Not only are we to enjoy God's grace through Christ-exalting worship, but also through Christ-centered study of the Word of God, through the study of this 
book. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, you cannot get around this. We are people of the book. If you don't like books, you've got a problem because you're a person of the book when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's about this book. We don't worship this book. We worship the one to whom the written word points, the living word, Jesus Christ. But this is how God, through his son and through his apostles, has revealed himself to us. If you want to know God, this is where you see him. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. Christ-centered study of God's Word. The early church was a group of committed learners, students of the Word of God, which would have included the Old Testament. as taught by the apostles. We've been talking about that in recent weeks in Luke. How Jesus showed them from the Old Testament time and time again. Several times, two or three times on the day of His resurrection, Easter Sunday, He showed them from the Old Testament that all that had happened had to happen for our salvation. It included what would become the New Testament as they explained in detail the gospel of Jesus Christ through gospel accounts, through their letters to the churches. You see, the point of the whole Bible is Jesus. You know, when you, when you, when you open this thing up and start digging, I mean, the Old Testament's kind of it's tough. You say, are you, are you, do you really believe that every book in the Bible is about Jesus? Yes. It has something to do with His coming, His work. It's a foundation at points that some of the Old Testament books are. But it all is leading to the culmination of God's revelation, Hebrews 1 says, in His Son. The point of the whole Bible is Jesus. The written Word of God shines the spotlight on the living Word of God, even Christ. And hear me, we will, in, we will misinterpret the Bible if we do not figure out how whatever passage we're studying at the time relates to Jesus and His life, death, and resurrection. That's why Charles Spurgeon said every time he opened God's Word to preach, he made a beeline for the cross because every page is about Jesus. It's all connected to Jesus. And we won't understand some of even the foundational stuff if we don't connect it to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that's not always easy. That's why we have times that we go deeper than we can do in this room of Bible study. That's why we have to sit down and actually really work hard, think hard. By the way, if you don't like to think, you've got, you got trouble with Jesus because he, he called you to, to be a person of the book. It means you've got to study, you've got to think. And sometimes it's not simple, but oh, how beautiful it is. A spirit-filled church, John Stott said, is a New Testament church in the sense that it studies and submits to New Testament instruction. The Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word of God. It's not enough to just know this book, by the way. As important as that is, and, as, and, and, and I, I keep hammering that because in America we're kind of weak-minded. I mean, I just, let's just go ahead and talk about it. We don't think a lot. We don't think as deeply as our forebears did, okay? We don't like to think hard. We just receive information and respond to it. I mean, that's just kind of our, our world right now, isn't it? Somebody says something, we react. We don't really even think it through. We, it, but as important as that is, it's not enough to just know God's Word. You know what, you know what James says? He says that the demons believe and shudder. What that means is this. The demons have got better theology than you do. 
they got better theology than I do. They know who God is. They even shudder, which is sometimes more than some of us do. But they don't believe. And what they don't do also is they don't submit to the written word of God, the living word of God, Jesus Christ. It doesn't change how they live. James, in that same passage, says it's not enough to be hearers of the word. You've got to be doers of the word. And so it's important that we not only read and study, but do, surrender to God's word. So I just want to ask you, are you personally and actively enjoying God's grace through Christ-centered study of the word of God? Can I just get this over with? This is not good enough. This, this hour... Even if I get long-winded, this is not enough. Are you personally and actively enjoying God's grace through Christ-centered study of the Word? Are you plugged in and committed to a Sunday school class at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning? We've got one for you. Do you take advantage of the other Bible study opportunities that are available to you on Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m.? Can I just tell you a couple things? I know two things. There are a few of you that are not, a few is a loose term, that are not taking advantage of Sunday school. And there's a few of you, and that's a, a, even used more loosely, that are not taking advantage of Wednesday night opportunities. Are you hungry for the Word of God? Do you still need to grow in your understanding of the Word of God? Will there ever come a time, even if you've been walking with the Lord for 40 years, where you have got it all figured out and you don't need to grow in your knowledge of God's Word, that you might grow in your obedience to the Word of God? That answer's pretty obvious. Hey, ladies, there's a, there's, a, there's a ladies' Bible study. We don't have specifically a men's study, but there is a ladies' Bible study that is community-wide, but it meets here in our church on Monday evenings at 5.30. Our first priority is to enjoy God's grace through Christ-exalting worship, and Christ-centered study of God's Word. It has to be that if we're ever to have a gospel culture that shows the beauty of Christ to our world. We will portray the beauty of Christ to the world as we live in and live out a gospel culture. Secondly, this morning, and we'll begin to move a little more quickly on some of these. Our second priority is we must embrace God's power by depending on Christ in prayer. We must embrace God's power not only enjoy God's grace, but embrace His power by depending on Christ in prayer. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the prayers, it says. When you look at the book of Acts, what you find is that the number one reflex action of the early ecclesia of God is prayer. When something happened, what did they do? They prayed. I mean, it's just, it was just like breathing for them. Whatever their situation, you could find the ecclesia together in prayer. Together in prayer. Is prayer our church's first reflex? The early churches, where we've just been reading Acts chapter 2, they had just spent 10 days between Jesus' ascension and the coming of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which was in Acts chapters 1 and 2, in prayer. It's how they breathe. Now, Chad, do we, are, we, are we for sure that they just like 24-7, 10 days prayed? No, but... The point is, they were, I mean, there was a 10-day period. Jesus said, you wait till you're clothed with power. Guess what they did? They just had seen the resurrected Christ. They waited for 10 days till they were clothed with power. And they knew how that would come. Them being together as a group, praying. 
I, I just don't think I'm making that part up. Y'all got any pro- problem with that, those hermeneutics? I mean, it just seems pretty plain. Wait and pray, and the power will come. That's what they did, and that's what happened. After Peter and John are arrested, released and told to quit preaching the good news of Jesus, what does the church do in Acts 4? They got together and prayed. And in fact, they prayed different than we might pray. If I'd been threatened and said, quit preaching or else you're going to go to jail, you, we, we, you spent the night in jail, but next time you're, you're, you, we're going to lock locking you up for good, we're going to do some bad things to you, we might even kill you, try to get you killed anyway. You know, if I, if I gather some of y'all together to pray, you know what I'd be praying? Oh, God, protect me. Hello? Right? You know what they prayed for? <laughs> they prayed for the boldness to defy the fools that told them not to preach the gospel. They spent time in prayer when the first deacons were set apart to serve the body. And on and on, all throughout the book of Acts, the ecclesia is found. The gathering, the gospel gathering of Jesus is found in corporate prayer together. If you're under the sound of my voice today, you have the opportunity to cry out to Jesus as the local body of Christ every Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. Our response to corporate prayer opportunities, hear me, it's a clear gauge of our corporate dependence on God. Plain and simple. And so I just want to appeal to you, as I've done before. I told you, it's every Sunday night, 6 o'clock. Every Sunday night. Whether it's four or five of those in a, in a month, okay? But, but I just want to appeal to you to do this. I understand. Some of you can't come out at night. We understand that. There are certain situations where it's not possible for you to be here on a Sunday night. You join with us from your, in your hearts on Sunday nights at 6 o'clock and, and seek God's face and pray for your church and pray for our missionaries and pray for the lost. But I want to appeal to those of you who can. I realize we're all busy. We've got families. There's a lot of things going on. But, 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 but this, would you do this? Would you ask God about this? Just In fact, pray about this. Ask God if... He thinks it's a good idea, and if he could help you to commit to one Sunday night a month, just one, just one, to one hour of corporate prayer with your church family a month. If you just prayed that, then you're pretty sure, me and the Lord are talking about this, you've probably already got the answer to that. The truth is, most of us can do that, can't we? That is if we really think together, as a group, we need power from Him. If He said yes when you ask Him that, then stick to it. And stick to it not just this month, but stick to it next month. And month after month. And, and, and I just wonder, I, I want to know, I want to see how God would respond. What if everyone in this local church committed to one Sunday night, one hour a month of corporate prayer, and we gathered like that, what would God do? What power might we see? What would it look like in terms of in terms of people coming day by day, people being brought in to the fellowship of Jesus Christ here. Priority two is very simply embrace God's power. 
You, you want to have a gospel culture? Then embrace God's power through dependence on the Holy Spirit in prayer. And that's a specifically a prayer together. We will portray the beauty of Christ to the world as we live in and live out a gospel culture. The third priority that will lead us to this gospel culture is we must express God's love in Christ-like service to one another and our community. Enjoy God's grace, Christ-exalting worship, Christ-centered teaching. Study the Word of God. Embrace God's power through dependence on the Holy Spirit in prayer. Thirdly, express God's love in Christ-like service to one another and our community. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship. By the way, this is the first New Testament occurrence of a word, a Greek word you're probably familiar with, that, that word koinonia, which means fellowship. And it means a whole lot more than the Baptist definition, generally speaking, of fellowship. Because let's just talk about it. What it means for us is us and food. And that's it, right? We got fellowship. Except in the New Testament, the word means way more than that. Koinonia. It's a closeness. It's, a, it's an intimate, uh, relational thing among the members of the body of Christ, among the people of God. We're to express God's love and Christ-like service to one another in our community. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. There was a devotion in every individual believer's heart and life to the body, to the ecclesia, to the gospel gathering. There was an allegiance to their church family that shaped their life. And so the question is, are you devoted to a gathering of believers. Maybe you're visiting with us, you had not landed somewhere yet. That's fine. It doesn't have to be this local church. You see, I can't love Jesus and hate his bride. Good little place to pause and ask this question. Anybody ever been hurt in church? I'm raising my hand because I have. Yeah? So, but here's the deal. You know, what, you know what Jesus taught me after a period of where I've been through a bad deal and been hurt by church? I, I just got to where I really didn't want anything to do with it, to be quite honest. You know what I told God? I said, you know what? Bivocational, I can do that. Full-time pastorate? <laughs> nope. I'm done. I'm done. And yet God in His grace... Show me this truth. I, you can't love my son and not love his bride. And God said, by the way, son, you're one of them. <laughs> and you've hurt people. And you're part of the problem. So if you, maybe if you start getting right, that might impact somebody around you. And I don't know, maybe he's saying that to you right now. I don't know. He said it to me. You can't love Jesus and hate his bride that he purchased off the slave block just like he did you with his own blood on the cross. There's no perfect church. In fact, let me go ahead and get this over with. <laughs> the longer you hang around any local church, visitors, we're glad you're here, but here's what you need to know. The longer you hang around any local church, including this one, the more you'll see that to be the case. But we're the family of God. 
We're the body of Christ. We're part of one another because we're part of Christ. We're one in Him. You know, nobody knows you like family. But nobody loves you like family. That's the church. So the closer we get, the more warts we see. The more stuff we realize about that person that we thought had it all together. But if we're doing it like Jesus planned, then the more we'll love them anyway. And realize that as I'm seeing their warts, guess what? They're learning mine too. And just as much as I'm learning their need for my forgiveness, I'm experiencing their need. I'm experiencing my own need for their forgiveness of me. There is a clear, I believe, New Testament argument. Before I say that, let me say this. This reality of our oneness in Christ, that should bind us together. I want to make this statement. Even closer than blood kin. Now, there's some believers in the South that have a hard time with that. Ask me how I know. The reality that we are one in Christ should bind us together even closer than blood kin. Because hear me, that bond we have in Jesus is spiritual and it is unlike our earthly families. Eternal. Eternal. What do you mean, preacher, that my family is not going to be eternal? Listen, my marriage ain't going to be eternal. That's what Jesus said. But you know what all that means? All that means is that me and every other believer in the body of Christ in heaven are going to be closer than the closest of human relationships. But I ain't going to be a Kelly there. I'm going to be closer to my children who know Christ than I am here. But it won't be because we're Kellys. It'll be because we're, it'll be because we're what? Little Christ, Christians, Christ joins us. There's a clear New Testament argument for committing yourself to a local church family and investing your life, your time, your energy, and your finances there. The New Testament knows nothing of parachurch ministries, only expressions of the body of Christ in a local place. Now, I just want to go ahead and tell you, I'm thankful for wonderful parachurch organizations that serve as helpful partners to the local church. In fact, some of them do better at certain things than we do as a local church. But they are never to be a replacement for the local church. So how committed to Jesus' church are you? How committed to Jesus' local gospel gathering are you? as seen by your investment of time, energy, relational commitments, and finances to a local church. You see, we're aliens and strangers on this earth. That's what Peter said. As followers of Jesus, we're automatically aliens and strangers on earth. We're sojourners through this land on our way to our homeland. It doesn't matter what nation we live in. So if we know Jesus today and happen to live in Gilmer County, Georgia, USA, I have more unity with a Syrian Christian brother or sister 
than I do with a person who doesn't even know Jesus, even though I've known that person all my life in the state of Georgia. Do you believe that? And so we should regularly pray as we remember, compassionately pray for our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church worldwide. We're called to do that in Hebrews 13. Acts 2 verse 44 says, And all who believe were together. Let me just stop and warn you. This fixing to get real. As if it hadn't so far. Acts chapter 2 verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Something way different about those two verses and the life of most of us as believers in the American church. I don't hear they were careful to preserve their 401k so as to make sure retirement was taken care of. And then whatever was left, they sold and took care of those that were needy. Now, am I saying retirement planning is bad, that you shouldn't do, do that? No. You get the point. I mean, do we, do we relate closely enough to one another to where we even know when there's a financial need enough that we might need to sell something to serve a brother or sister? John Stott said, Christian fellowship, that koinonia we talked about, is Christian caring. And Christian caring, if you really care, is Christian sharing. Now that just gets a little uncomfortable. Suddenly following Jesus and being part of his gathering affects our use of our money and our stuff. Wait a minute. John Piper says, Luke admired this sacrificial love for the sake of the needy. He was giving the well-to-do Theophilus and well-to-do Americans a lesson in the way Christians who stand in awe of God handle their possessions. More than any other New Testament writer, Luke stresses the danger of letting our life consist in the things we possess. The radical fellowship of Acts 2, 44 and 45 was the antidote for the suicide of materialism committed by the man who built bigger and bigger barns and lost his soul. And you see, this is another reason Sunday school is so important. So that you and I can know each other personally enough and therein be sensitive to needs in one another's lives and then meet those needs. And, 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 and I'm thankful today for Sunday school classes that are working just like that. And I could tell you stories of Sunday school classes in the last six months who've met needs of people either in their group or in the community, closely connected. And I praise God for that. That's why we have a deacon family ministry, so that every person and family who are members of our church have a deacon assigned to them to care for them, to serve them, to keep up with them in order that they might no, we might as a church know when needs arise and vice versa so that you can talk to your deacon 
when there's issues. It's why I've talked more and more about discipleship groups of three to five men or three to five women who read Scripture together regularly and then meet together at least, say, once every other week to share in the Word, to memorize Scripture and to hold one another accountable for actually obeying Scripture in key areas of life and praying for one another and each other's families. This is happening in our midst. and Maybe, I don't know, I'm just guessing right now, I think I know of maybe half a dozen groups, let's say. Maybe not quite that many. And where it's happening is powerful. Families are being changed. Not just men, not just women, but families are being changed. And I'm just going to stop here because I, I, I got excited about that. On the verge of crying about that. Because I've been watching it. And one of the greatest joy, the, right now, I'll just tell you, the greatest joy, the older I get in ministry, the greatest joy in my ministry in the church is to watch these groups work. To watch men that I've met with for a year or two began to meet with other men. And to watch those groups begin to affect marriages and families and parenting. That's how you change a culture and a generation. Say it a different way so the Southern Baptists will understand. That's what we call revival. The real thing. Because it affects not just some big emotional glow at a service at the church. It affects the house on a Tuesday evening. And what's said and what's not said. What's done and what's not done. What's important and what's not important. As evidenced by mama and daddy's priorities in the schedule of their children and their family. Y'all alright? This is the church. You see our goal is to know and meet everyone's need. Every need that we have as a church. We want to meet those needs. That's why we have these various ways of enjoying fellowship to make sure we're in touch with you. But the question is, are you plugged in so that other members of the body can know when you have a need? It's a two-way street. As a body, we can only do so much to reach out to you, but you have to plug in. And we seek to serve our community through partnerships with various local missions as well as we pray, give, and volunteer our time to serve alongside of them. The third priority of a gospel culture is we must express God's love and Christ-like service to one another and our community. I wish I could spend more time on local missions, but let's just suffice it to say we have numerous local missions partners from the Mountaintown Baptist Association to the Gilmer, uh, Gilmer Safe Choice Pregnancy Center to the Gilmer Food Pantry, uh, New Beginnings Transitional Housing Ministry, local missions committee helped me, the Gilmer Christian Learning Center that serves the high school and middle school. Uh, what am I forgetting? Shout it out. John, I'm looking at you. You're the chairman. <laughs> we're pursuing other opportunities to partner with local missions. What a joy it is to serve our community. We'll portray the beauty of Christ to the world as we live in and live out a gospel culture. Finally, the fourth gospel priority that's a must, non-negotiable, if we're to have a gospel culture as a church, is that we must extend God's glory. 
into the world by sharing the good news of Christ personally with others, both locally and globally. Chapter 2 of Acts, verse 47. Having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, it doesn't say that they were doing evangelism there, does it? It says God's saving people. You say, so where'd you get this extending God's glory by sharing the good news of Christ? Because Paul says in Romans that hearing comes by what? Faith comes by what? Excuse me. Hearing. And hearing comes by the what? Word of God. Jesus said, go and, and make disciples of all nations, nations, teaching them to observe all things. Preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins in my name to the ends of the world, Jesus said. It's clear in the New Testament. The way the Lord was adding to their number in the book of Acts is they were talking about Jesus. They were telling their neighbors. They were telling people they didn't know. They were telling everybody that Jesus had come, lived a perfect life in their place. That he'd gone to the cross and there endured the wrath of God on that cross in their place. That he had died as the payment for sin. Was buried on the third day. On the third day, praise God, he rose from the dead and they had seen him alive. Which means he's Lord of all. And he is Lord over us. And if you don't know him today, he's Lord over you. He reigns as king today. He wants to be your savior. And you need to surrender to him as master. Because he lives. And he rules. This is the message we're to share. As we look at the book of Acts, the second reflex of the early church was to preach the gospel. To tell people about Jesus. Their first reflex was prayer. God, we've got to have your power. But their second reflex was to tell, to be bold with that gospel that could say, is it ours? Are we telling the story of our resurrected Savior? I want to give you this practical challenge as we think about extending God's glory both locally and globally. Would you pray for God to use you to lead one person to Christ before the end of the year? It's May, month number five. What would, what would it look like? What would this gathering look like? What would Sunday school class look like if the Lord used every one of us to lead just one person to Him before the year's out? And by the way, you understand in comparison to what was going on in the book of Acts, that is a sad, sad, sadly low ratio. You with me? Would you ask God to use you for, to do that? Would you ask God to use you to do that and pray for opportunities and pray for eyes to see the opportunities when they come? And boldness to take the opportunities when they come. Will you pray that way? That's my challenge for all of us, myself included, today. This priority of the local church, extending God's glory by sharing the good news of Christ personally with others, is why we strive to keep missions both local and global front and center as a church. I'm thankful for a strong local missions team. I'm thankful for a strong foreign missions team that serve, and by the way, on which you can serve if you're part of our church. They serve our church family by leading us to be on mission in ever-increasing ways at home and all the way to the unreached people groups of the world. Priority number four, we must extend God's glory by sharing the good news of Christ personally with others, both locally and globally. It's these four priorities 
that create a gospel culture. But they're not priorities we've made up. The wording's mine. Comes straight out of Acts chapter 2, where God, through Luke, says, here's the way the church is to live. This, this is what it's to look like. This, these are the priorities that should shape its life together. And when that is the case, then local churches, they'll turn their communities upside down. They'll turn the world upside down. Without any buildings, without any sort of corporate structure, Without, I always get this messed up. Some attorney look at me and help me. 501c3, 3c, I don't know. The nonprofit status. Without it, home gatherings, under persecution, wrecked the Roman Empire, which is a whole lot rougher and tougher and longer lasting than this America. Turn it upside down. Without any of the stuff and influence that we have. So the question is this. Are we here at East LJ Baptist living in such a gospel culture with these gospel priorities that this gospel culture of ours is naturally moving out and impacting our community and the world? Or as Francis Chan said, are we lukewarm and loving it? You want a sermon that you won't enjoy. Francis Chan, lukewarm and loving it. Taken from Revelation 3, 15 to 20, where Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, like either hot or cold water, I'm going to vomit you, Jesus says, out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameless, shameful nakedness not be exposed. And ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus talks to a professing church in Laodicea. And he said, you think you don't need anything and you need everything. You're a wreck. You're nauseating. Because you don't have any healing power of hot springs, water. And you have no refreshing effect of cool cold water you think you can see you think you're well dressed you think you've got it all together you're poor pitiful blind and naked and then Jesus said and here's the deal I love you enough that I'll tell you that that I'll just say it and I'll call you to repent and if you'll open the door I'm knocking on your heart's door I'm, 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 knock, I'm, I'm knocking on the heart door of a lukewarm church I'm asking you to repent church and if you'll just open the door I'll come in and we will fellowship and, 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 and the relationship will be restored and you will live has God pinpointed through his word and by his spirit anything that you personally need to repent of so that you as part of Jesus gospel gathering for gospel going can more fully portray the beauty of Christ as you live
with the gospel priorities that the early church had. You see, we can portray the beauty of Christ to the world as we live in and live out a gospel culture. The question is, will we do it? Ray Ortland wrote a book called The Gospel. And he made this statement, A gospel culture is not easy, but it is possible. In all this world, there is no truth so solid as gospel doctrine. No community so humane as a gospel culture. Nothing so resisted and yet so redemptive as both together. And nothing so worthy of our utmost devotion. We will portray the beauty of Christ to the world as we live in and live out a gospel culture. Let's do it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, for your word and this help to be the church, we thank you. Show us the way. Show me where, as a pastor, I need to change. Show us as leadership in this church, locally, right here in this place, how we need to change that the gospel might be more clearly seen in us. Show us as individual believers and members of the body here what needs to change so that as we all live together, we would be living in a gospel culture and the four priorities that you've given us in your word would be our life. For Lord Jesus, you and you alone are worthy. You're worthy of these lives. You're worthy of all we've got. You're worthy of this church shining brightly with the gospel. Not just dimly, but brightly into a world that so much needs God's grace. Help us, we pray, for your name's sake. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship in song. This altar's open for you to respond however you need to today. If you don't know our Savior, come enjoy His grace for the first time and never stop enjoying His grace through simple faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to come and, and pray for whatever it may be today. We'll, 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 have other, we'll have people that come to join you and do that. Maybe you would join our church family today or seek that out and, uh, and join us even this evening in a, in a new members class. Whatever your need is, we... Sing. So oh.
thank you for being here today. And just before we dismiss, you can just remain standing for just a moment. I would encourage you to see your bulletin. A lot of important things in there. We're not going to go through all those announcements. But important things about summer missions opportunities, vacation Bible school, summer camp deadlines. A um, couple of things to mention quickly. Next Sunday, we will be having a parent commissioning child dedication service on Mother's Day. If you've not already gotten with me about that and want to participate, then please see me about that. Also today, Stackstone's Membership Orientation and Involvement Class, Session 1, will happen right here in this room at 4 o'clock from about 4 to 5.30 or so today. Um, that'll be followed by our Crop to Jesus prayer service at 6 o'clock. So if you uh, have already signed up for the Stackstone's class, come. If you are visiting with us and want to check that out, you're welcome. There's no commitment in the class. It's a required class prior to membership. So come join us. Find out more about our church. And uh, we'd love to have you. So uh, check out your bulletins. And I'm going to ask somebody to dismiss in prayer. Uh, let's see. That would be Frank Miller, who's behind me.